not, not this time. I, I, I'm not going to move. I, I'm calling your bluff. I'm going to stand right here. I don't care what happens. I'm not going to move. And then I moved. I, I can still hear. It's almost like it, uh, it happened yesterday. It sometimes uh, wakes me up at night uh, in, a, in a bad dream. I can still hear the laughter as David Lusby passed me by on the sidewalk on his bicycle. See, David Lusby was a guy that, he was in my sister's class, one of my older sister's class, four, five, six years older than me. And he would drive, or excuse me, let me put it correct, he would ride around town on his bicycle. We, I lived in a small town, about three or 400 people. He would ride around town, and his sole purpose, I, I swear that he just went on a mission looking for kids like me. His, his goal was to ride around town, find us on the sidewalk, and sometimes even in the road, and try to run us down with his bicycle. Now, I knew that because that's what he said he was going to do. When, when he saw us from a distance, he would start laughing. His eyes would get really big. and This d- d- devious, devilish, nasty smile, grin would come across his face. And he would say, you better get out of my way or I'm going to run you over. And literally dozens and dozens of children in my hometown were run over by David Lusby. Well, maybe not dozens and dozens, but I know there had to be several kids that were run over by David Lusby. Now, I don't personally know of anyone that actually was, but, but he said he was going to do it. But that day, I was, I was going to run me over. See, the day before, I was walking home from Tim Hicks's house. Tim lived next door to David Lusby. And, and, and normally, you got on the side. It's just one of those things you did. You looked around. I don't see him. I don't hear the um, – he was, he was cool, so he had the, the baseball cards on his spokes. So you'd hear him coming, and I didn't hear him coming, and I started walking. And, and I, I don't know if he was hiding behind a tree or, or, or laying in a ditch, but next thing I knew, I heard that, and I looked behind me, and here he comes. And I barely, I mean, I, I barely escaped with my life. And that's when I decided I'm no, no more. I've had enough. I'm not going to move. <laughs> but I did. I... I I laid awake many nights, and as I grew older, it, it, it finally hit me. It's like all the things I could have done differently. I could have waited till he passed me by and pushed him. I, I could have. I, I saw this in a movie once. If I just carried a stick and stuck it in his spokes when he went by, and, and he would have flipped over, and then I would have ran home, got my bag moved, and, and you know, but boy, that had been fun for a little while. Uh, now, we will notice in 1 Corinthians that... Uh, it says something about keeping no record of wrong, but that doesn't apply to me or, or this situation whatsoever. Uh, but, but the truth was, David Lusby was perhaps the rudest person I ever knew. And you know what, at, at the heart of that, where that came from, well, obviously he was demented, dropped on his head, abused, I don't know. What, but but at, the, at the root of that was the attitude that he possessed, I don't care. I don't care if I scare little kids. I don't care if I run. I don't know that he ever actually ran over any little kid, but I, I don't care what happens. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 13, as we continue on, uh, Paul says in verse 5, he, he says this, uh, love is not rude. Now, now, some of you I know are, are, are maybe right now thinking, nailed it. We, we've been talking about some pretty tough stuff. Love is patient. Golly, I don't hit that one very good. Love is kind. I really need to work on that. But, but now you're thinking, love is not rude. Well, well I've got that one because I don't run over anyone with my bicycle. Never did. I don't even run over them with my car. I mean, I, that's just not who I am. I've nailed this. That patient and kind stuff is hard, but I got this one. But, but if that's what you're thinking, you're missing the point because running, while running over someone with their bike is rude, that's not the point that we're looking at. It's not really the point I wanted you to get. It's not the point that Paul says here. What, what does apply to us is this attitude of I don't care. Now, when I look out over the crowd here this morning, I don't see anyone that I fear would run me over with a bicycle. But maybe, maybe sometimes some of us would, would run someone over with our words and then say, I don't care. Or run someone over with our actions and then think, hmm, I don't mind. Or run someone over with our inaction and not really be bothered by that. Or run someone over with our thought or with our attitude or with our refusal to see them and then not really care. So what Paul is talking about in chapter 13, verse 5 here, when he says was love is not rude. Uh, seems to be obvious, but but maybe it's a little bit more deep than that. The, the King James Version, you, you may have a different version this morning, and, and a lot of them say exactly that, love is not rude. The King James Version says, doth not behave unseemly. I kind of like that. that. That kind of is a broader way of looking at it. The, the Living Bible, the old Living Bible says, never haughty or selfish or rude. The if you have a newer version of the NIV, it says it does not dishonor. Uh, so, so here in chapter 13, after pointing out some of the positive attributes of love, uh, love is patient, love is kind, Paul kind of switches gears here a little bit and begins to list a few things that love is not. So he begins to describe love and how we're to, to put it into our life, what it's supposed to look like. But he does it from the, the opposite angle. He does it by telling us some things that aren't compatible with love. Um, in fact, he started in verse 4. It, the end of verse 4, he says, love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Verse 5 continues, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil. So Paul switches gears and begins to describe what love is is not for us. Now, now if I were to describe for you someone, if I, I said, hey, I want you to, to, to go to town and there you're going to meet someone, let me describe them for you. Pr- probably what I would do is tell you what they look like. I would probably say, well, well, uh, Adam, would you stand up for just a second? Uh, the, I, I would say they're, they're, they're tall and they're thin and they have a full head of hair and they look nothing like Adam. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can sit down now. I I will pay for that at some point. Adam will get me even get even with me. I'm sure. But but we might describe them. They're, they're they look this way. They they're dressed this way. We would 
we would say they have a they, they have a, a big smile or a blonde hair, whatever it might be. But but if I only told you things that they were not, you would still get an idea of what they were. If, if I said, well, they're not tall, well, what would you think? They're short. If I said, if if I said they're not very good looking, you would think they're. I was afraid someone might say a name there, so whew, good. I, I bypassed that. You think, okay, well, they're kind of ugly. If if I said if I said, well, she's not very loud, you think, oh, she's very quiet and timid. If she's if she's not quiet, you would say, oh, she must be a, a talker. She's loud. If he's not thin, you would think, well, he must be a little bit portly. If if I said he's not a KU fan, then you would say, well, he must be smart. Um, I know you guys think that. Uh, actually, around here, what that means, he must be a KSU fan, must be a K-State fan if he's not a KSU or a K, KU fan. What Paul is pointing out here is that there are some things, there are some things when we have the love of Jesus that are not compatible with that love. So, so when we go through that list, which, which when we look at patient and kind and say, man, that's kind of tough, when we go through that list of negatives, we actually might have been like raising our hand, that's me, that's me, I'm guilty there, I'm guilty there. When we have agape love, there's things that we're not supposed to have. When we have agape love, there's certain things that are not natural, certain things that aren't natural to us that we need to put into practice, patience, kindness. And there's things that are not, are not or there's things that are natural to us that we need to discard. So Paul says love is not rude. So so why is he talking about that? Why does he bring that up? Uh, since we, we probably don't think we're rude or people around us are rude, we can think of someone that is, but it's not anyone here. Why is Paul bringing that up in this, in this important treatise on on what love needs to be and how we need to put it in our life. Well, I think two things. First of all, we need to expand our definition of rude. It really is, as I mentioned before, it really is more of uh, of an I don't care type thing. In in Greek, the 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 start of the word starts off with aschema, which I is a negative means not, and schema is is form. So so really, what it's talking about is that our our, uh, the way we act, our behavior, is to not have the form of rudeness, not have the form of, uh, of being unseemly, the, the form being our very nature. Our nature can't be the attitude, I don't care. G- Jesus uh, told the parable of the Good Samaritan. I-, I, won't, I won't read it. I won't go and take the time to do that. But we, we know that story. We know the, the theme of that story. And, and there really is two, two points that Jesus is making from that parable. One of them is the obvious one. That's the one that we take and run with, and that's the, probably the most important one. And that is that we need to be like the Good Samaritan. He picked the Samaritan because the Samaritan was looked down on, and, but we need to be like the Samaritan who didn't care about himself, didn't care that people looked down on him. He reached down and helped a guy that was hurt, took him somewhere and took care of it and paid for it and made sure that he was taken care of. That, that's really what we learned from that. But, but he also, there's a second point that we catch from that. And it's what the religious leaders did, or in this case, didn't do. It's what the ones who should have realized that this guy was hurting. It's the ones that knew what Scripture said to do when they found someone that, that needed care. 
it was the religious leaders who saw the guy hurting and said, I don't care. I don't care. We also need then, obviously, to expand our application. So so let's look. And we're, we're, we're actually just going to buzz through this next part. We're going to take too much time to go through this, and we'll just let you take the applications where you want to. There's no room for rudeness. For, for the church, he's talking to us that we shouldn't be rude. There's no room for rudeness because of people. Let me say that there's no room for rudeness because of people. It would be easy to show the love of Jesus. It would be easy to show the love of Jesus if we didn't have to deal with people. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't it be easy to love like Jesus if we never had to deal with weird people and other rude people and obnoxious people and bullheaded people and you just add to the list what you want there? Wouldn't it be great? Couldn't we love just like Jesus if we didn't have to deal with people? Uh, it would have been easy for Jesus to love like Jesus if he hadn't had to deal with people. Now, now take this application and take it as broad. In fact, you should take it as broad as you could. But, but wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus to show agape love if he hadn't had to deal with Pharisees that took every word that he said and tried to twist it and turn it, who, who, who never looked at what Jesus did. They never looked at the heart of what he had to say. They never looked at the fruit that he was producing. All, all they did was try to undercut and undermine everything. Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus had never had to deal with Pharisees? Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus hadn't had to deal with followers that just didn't get it, followers that kept messing up, followers that, that would hear one thing and, and, and apply it a whole opposite way, that would hear him talk about, uh, about loving children and then rebuke children, would hear him talk, talk about serving one another, then talk about next thing they would say, who, who's going to be great? Wouldn't it have been easier to love like Jesus if he never had to deal with people like that? Wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus to love with an agape love, if he never had to deal with crowds that mocked him, spat upon him, and crucified him. Yeah. But he did anyway. Church, we're called to love people. Because that's what Jesus did. So there's no room for rudeness because of people. Because we're called, we're, we're, we're called to impact people. Uh, I've I found here in recent weeks, I've found myself going back to the book of First John several times. I'm going to quote a couple verses there, or look at a couple verses there again. First uh, John chapter two verse six says, "Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did." Uh, in uh, in First uh, John chapter three, starting with verse sixteen, it says. This is how we know what love is. I know I read this uh, last week. Jesus laid his life down for us, and we ought to, <clears throat> to lay down our lives for our brothers. <clears throat> Excuse me. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity for him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And we studied this a while back in our, our, our study in James. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it's not accompanied by action, is dead. We have to impact people. We have to impact people. Over the last two or three weeks, uh, many of you probably have been watching a lot of Chiefs coverage. Uh, maybe if you have the NFL Network, you're going back and you're, you're watching all these different videos of, of the Chiefs. And, and when you watch a Chiefs game, normally when you watch it on TV, all you get is one camera, maybe a couple camera views, but it shows the whole play. But, but, but during a Chiefs game, they've got cameras that are fixed on individual people. So, so they literally can go back and watch what, what Tyreek Hill did on every play, whether he got the ball or not. The camera's just on him as he runs down the field. Travis Kelsey, they can watch every play. What did Kelsey do? Did he set a block? Did he, did he run the right route? Was he open? Was he not open? Did, was it a great, a, a camera is on him all the time. Would, would you think about this for a second? What impact do we have on people? Church, what, what would people see if the camera was just on us? If you had to roll the tape and, and someone got to watch just what you did all the time, how you interacted with coworkers, how you interacted with your family, how you interacted with people you knew and didn't know, how you posted on social, social media, how you acted and what you said at basketball games or baseball games. See, the reality is if we don't care about impacting people, if we don't care about showing them Jesus, then we are rude. Because that's really what rudeness is. We are called not just to impact, we're also called to impress people. Matthew 5.13 says that we are the salt of the world. We are the salt of the world. We are to impress people, not, not in the sense of, Oh, wow, that's impressive. But we are to impress on people what Jesus is like. We're to show them. It it ties in with impact, and we're to show them what Jesus is, and that should affect them. When when I was in college, we would would sit at the, the uh, the, the dining hall, and sometimes there might be one or two of us there, and we would notice a friend come down the hill and walk into the cafeteria. And more than once, I'm sad to tell you that some of my friends did this because I would have never done it myself but uh, but but some of my friends would do this uh, as that as that person walked down the hill we know hey once they get their food they're going to come sit at our table one of my friends would reach over to the salt shaker okay I did it too uh, over to the salt shaker kids I got in trouble for last week's sermon I'm getting in trouble again do not do this at home especially when you go to college it's okay at home no way if you do it, stand rebuked by me here. So when your mom calls me, I'm going to come over and uh, you're going to be in timeout with me. Wait till your college. We would take the, the, the lid of the salt shake. Do you guys ever do this? And unscrew it so we're just barely sitting on. And, and, and we ate cafeteria food in college. See, I learned to pray over my food in college because if, there was, if, if you're going to be able to eat it, you had to pray for it. Uh, uh, so, so you... The guy would sit down and, and like I said, we're Bible college students, so even if you didn't pray, you, had, you sat down and nodded your head, you closed your eyes for a little while, and, and, and then you knew somewhere early on he was going to pick up that salt shaker because you had to put salt on your food and dump it on. And then we would, we would go into a, a theological discussion of how salt 
changes things and it improves things. Impress no, no, we would laugh. I uh, this week uh, when I was in Joplin, I, I got to hang out with one of my good friends, Gary Warlow. Gary, Gary and I were good friends. He and his wife were friends with Reed and I, and and, uh, and, and we told story after story of what we did in uh, in college. I will not repeat any of those here today, but uh, but one of the things we did did with him as well kind of same 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 thought someone would come in and they'd sit down and they'd have a have a glass of, of coke and and then they'd like oh i forgot my napkin they'd get up and walk to the napkin and we'd we'd take the salt shaker and we would and they're like is he coming in no then then they got back we'd sit there and like till he took a drink and if you've ever done the kids do not do this at home wait till you're in college but not only does it taste salty, but it totally flattens out the taste of the, I mean, it just takes out the fizz out of the pop. And, and, and they'd take a drink. Then we'd talk to them about the theological implications of how salt affects things. No, no, we would just laugh at them. But, but the reality is, as Jesus said, we are the salt of the world. Church, do we care? Do we care about impressing people with the love of Jesus? Do we care about touching their lives? We'll talk just a little bit more and just throw out a couple ideas on this, but do we care? Because if we don't, we're rude. We are called to improve people. We are called to make people's lives better. We're called to make their life better. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and says, we are the light the world. When, when you have light, it changes everything. If you've ever uh, had, had your lights go out in the middle of a storm or, or ice storm and your lights go out, you, you realize how much you miss light if you don't have it because light changes everything. It, it improves everything. I think I was a sophomore in college in, a, in an afternoon class in the basement of the library. We were back not just in the basement, we were back down two or three hallways deep underneath the bowels, in the bowels of, the, uh, of the, the library. We were about 15 minutes into a 50-minute class when an announcement came over the PA system, and they said that the power to the campus was going to be turned off. Of course, your first thought, well, they didn't pay the bill, huh? No, but they, they said the power's going to be turned off. The electric company's working on a, a transmitter or a transformer. Power's going to be turned off. And we're like, yes. I, I closed my book, started to put it back in my bag, and I noticed my other st- students in the class began to do the same thing. But, but our professor just kept on, just kept on talking, just kept on teaching. So we got our books back out, and we're like, Prof, they said 15 minutes are going to turn it off. And he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And finally, right in the middle of a statement, click. And the room went from full light dead darkness. I, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where it literally, there is no light at all. If you've ever been in a basement somewhere where it has no access to outside light, well, that's where we were. And, and at first we kind of giggled and laughed like, this is fun. Then we realized we've got to get out of this classroom uh, and, and into the hallway and down a couple hallways. And, and we literally were bumping and, and, and running into chairs and we finally got to the door, and we were following one another. There's some guy, John Matthews, in the front, and, 
he was taking the lead, and we were literally just shuffling along, filling the hallway. Then you heard a thump, and well, John found the end of the hallway. Turn right, John, and, and we're glad that he was there. And, 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 and so we slowly went down until we felt it, and then we turned, and, and we did this shuffling along until we first saw that first little ray of light, that first little peak of light on the floor, and then suddenly we walked differently. We could see again. It, it, it made a difference. It improved what we were doing. Church, we have to care. We have to care like Jesus. We have to see the hurting. We have to see the struggling. We have to see the lost. We have to see those who, who don't know what they need to know. We have to see the people that can be impacted by the gospel of Jesus and care, care enough to improve their lives. If we don't care, if we don't care, we are rude. There's, there's no room for rudeness because of people. We, we can't blame it on them. We, we can't ignore them. We can't be rude because we don't want to deal with people because that's what Jesus calls us to deal with. And finally, I'm just going to touch on two points and we'll be done. There's no room for rudeness because of our purpose. See, our purpose, our purpose is to, to have the very attitude of caring. Our very purpose doesn't allow us to say, I don't care. Our very purpose in Jesus is to make a difference in people's lives. See, our purpose is this. We'll talk more about it in, in coming weeks. Our, our purpose is this. We're called to love. We're called to love. And we're called to serve. That's it. So when Paul says, love that Jesus had, agape love, is not rude. Well, well, of course love is not rude. But what he really means is says it's not compatible for you not to care about people if you have the love of Jesus. Billy Meyer was a band, you can come on up. Billy Meyer was a 10 or 11-year-old boy growing up in Grain Valley, Missouri. Good kid, made okay grades in school, obeyed his parents most of the time. His mom and dad were fine people too. They, they, they had jobs and they were respected in the community. And uh, So really, actually a fine family, but one day, uh, a family, it was, it was Betty Dahlstein, uh, was the, the mom's name, saw this little boy, Billy Meyer, and, and asked him to church. She'd see him when they'd leave for church playing out in the, in the yard and, and uh, got to kind of know who he was. And, and so one day she asked Billy, hey, would you like to come to church with us? And for the first week, he said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But, but week after week, she would, she would ask him to church. And finally, one Sunday, she, Billy said, well, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go. So they picked him up and took him to church. And man, at church, it was cool. He, they, they had cookies and they had Kool-Aid and they, they had some Bible stories. And he had a great time. And he went home and, and on his way home, he says, hey, can I go next week as well? And so, so for, for about a year, year and a half, every Sunday, the Dahl signs would stop by Billy's house and pick him up and take him 
to church. One, one Sunday, after they'd been doing it for almost two years, uh, Billy's mom showed up at church. She didn't come for Sunday school, but she showed up at church. Boy, he was excited because he had been asking mom to come over and over again, but she had no use for church. And then, and then about six months later, one Sunday, Billy's mom and dad both showed up with him at church. And a few months after that, the Dahlsteins had the privilege to baptize Billy and his mom and his dad. All because they, all because they cared. All because they saw a little kid that, that on Sunday mornings was playing out in the front yard instead of being where he needed to be, being where they knew he needed to be. Now, I don't, I don't know who the Billy Meyer in your life is. Maybe it is a Sunday morning, a kid that you can say, hey, can you come to church? Or maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a co-worker that's just struggling with life, that's hurting and discouraged. Maybe it's like some of the songs we sang about this morning. It's someone that's going through trial and struggle and hard times. Maybe it's someone that's trying to, trying to figure out why when they pray, God never answers. And they're not seeing the healing on this side of heaven. I don't know who the Billy Meyer is in your life, but, but I do know what God's Word calls us to do. It tells us that we can't be rude. It tells us that we don't have the privilege to have the attitude, I don't care. We have to care. Will you, will you this week find someone, find someone to care about? Find someone to reach out make a difference would you bow with me real quick father we thank you for your word its application in our life father help us learn to live like jesus and to love like jesus we pray this in his name amen if you're here this morning and you don't know the love of jesus if you don't if you don't have the promise that we sang about a little bit earlier that that, boy, I just can't wait. I just can't imagine what it's going to be like. If, if you don't have the assurity that when your time comes or when Jesus comes that you're going to be in heaven and you're going to fall at his feet, if you don't have that assurity, we'd invite you to come this morning so that you can know how to be saved. Would you stand as we sing?